This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Did you keep across the fact that while you're away, Friendly Geordie's recorded a three and a half hour video for his Patreon <laughs> responding to our response to his video about us? I'm aware that this happened, but I just, it makes me feel so, so down and so confused <laughs> that I just like to not think about it. It, it worries me in a way. And that's, but it's not my problem. It makes me weep for the world. Yeah. That's fair. She's back, everybody. Hooray. Hey, everyone. I'm back. Turn, turn it back on. Hit subscribe again. Um, <laughs> reinstate your Every- Patreon subscription. Yeah, they cancelled. Go back. <laughs> what movies did you watch on the plane? People ask me this. How many movies do you watch? I watched, I watched The New Little Mermaid. That was the one that I watched on the way back. I think that was the only movie I watched. I then also put in, like I played music in my ears and I put on one that was like a fashion show. Okay. And I watched the models. The pretty models. And in my head I went, shit, ugly, beautiful, stunning, gorgeous, bad, weird, and made judgments. And what about the countries that you went to and the cultural experiences you had? Oh, I went, shit, ugly, bad, gorgeous, (laughs) stunning, (laughs) made judgments. (laughs) Ah, travel. (laughs) It really broadens the mind. So true. Hey, I've actually, I've got um, a bit for you as a comedian because I know you do stand up outside of this podcast as a side um, side hustle. And so, you know, when you catch, you catch a plane, right? And they give you like a meal, like, and the food's like not very, like, what's the deal with like the airline food is like not, it's not as good as food on the, (laughs) like on the ground. What do you, like, you could like do something about that. I don't why don't they make the whole plane out of the airline food? Why do they do that? Yeah, 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 so true. Just something to think about. I don't know. I just thought about that one for you. That's what you've come back with? That's that's all you've What's got? What's the deal with <laughs> airline food? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, you know. <laughs> don't you at least have some racist impressions of Europeans or something? To Isn't that to what you're going to do later in the show? We should just get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the greens. That funny, that bunch of if you want the doll for life, free marijuana, vote Greens. These people, these Greens, they are snake oil salesmen. They're a bunch of breath bags and a bunch of idiots and I've got no time for them whatsoever. <laughs> Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. <laughs> a serious danger to Australia. Yes, let's start. It's Serious Danger, a podcast about Greens politics in Australia. It is not an official Greens party podcast. Eh. I'm Tom Ballard. Eh. Incorrect. That is the wonderful Emerald Moon. Cheers back, baby. We back That's out here. Right. This is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, we are checking in on the voice referendum. I'm wearing the T-shirt. We've got a week to go. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss what is going on with the progressive no position and what the Black Greens have to say about it all. Mm, very fun. Uh, <laughs> so fun. So fun. Uh, <laughs> we, I think, <laughs> I noticed that some people still became patrons uh, while I while I was away. Perhaps Rude. to Rude. join in, yeah, baby, you know, joining because they missed me so much. They had to join to gain access to the archive of deep mm-hmm. dives and cool episodes and stuff that we have. If you pay as little as three bucks a month on the Patreon, so thank you, Robert, Colin, Thomas, and Matthew, who are new patrons. They may have also they may be interested in listening to the inside the greens. 
episodes that we've we've begun our our series on that tom is reading a book so that i don't have to about the greens and then he is explaining it to me because i'm a girl and i can't read uh, we're gonna we're doing more of that there'll be more content to come as well i think we have you know patreon episode coming up about why it's totally okay that we both went to europe and had holidays <laughs> and we're still good socialists <laughs> Uh, people say the greens are out of touch. They say, they say right. they're a middle class no, party. we're fine. But. We're good. We're working class people. <laughs> Welcome back to Celebrity Name Game, everybody. Merv and Tom are going to discuss the different uses for this piece of sporting equipment. <laughs> what, what's this for, Merv? <laughs> well... The cricket ball is quite hard. Yes. And we've got to protect our knees. Okay, right. And the knees, is yes. it? Okay, right. So you need to. Are you sure, yeah. Merv? It looks more like a, a nose protector to me. Yeah, Tom, yeah try that off. Yeah. Yeah. You know? oh. Oh. oh, you just don't know where that's, that's been, Tom. That's the good stuff, right there, yeah. <laughs> Family entertainment. You want to go, Greg? And uh, I don't want to discuss. We have a mailbox that I thought maybe we could just get to before we get into the, the juicy chat about the referendum. Uh, and the voice to parliament stuff in the show. Mm -hmm. We got a message while I was away from Catherine on Instagram who said, hey, Serious Danger, big fan of the pod, would you consider doing an episode about joining the Greens party as a, quote, everyday citizen? What does being a Greens <laughs> member or volunteer involve? What are the benefits? How much time and effort does it take, et cetera, for anyone not interested in being a representative or a staffer? <laughs> Catherine from Nam. Um which I, th I mean, I thought it was just a good, we maybe just have a chat about because you are not a Greens representative or a staffer, Tom. So maybe you know more than me as a potential Greens, as a candidate and staffer. Are you implying that I'm an everyday citizen? How everyday fucking citizen, dare sorry, you? Sorry, maybe not. Yeah. I've been she on celebrity said, name game. Said, okay, Emerald? <laughs> not as a Greens representative or staffer or famous and beloved comedian and author and actor. <laughs> well, what's the point really? Why join this party if you don't? See it advancing your career or your public profile. It's a waste <laughs> yeah. of time, I'd argue. What are the benefits? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's like we could go super technical about the, the process of, of joining the Greens, but when you started joining, when you first joined the Greens, what, what did you, why did you do that if you didn't want to do these things? Why were you like, okay, I need to become a member in order to achieve my, you know, or to further my political values which are aligned with this party? Um, I joined in 2020 in the chaos of the pandemic when I was looking around the world collapsing and thinking, Jesus Christ, I talk a big game about being left wing. I vote Greens. I've supported them. I think they were into cool stuff. I should I should make a commitment. Part of it was financial. You know, it was a basic mm -hmm. idea of like, look, if I pay my membership fees, that is something that helps the party on an ongoing basis and people who are full-time um, uh, committed to the, the, the project, you know, can can receive some funds to make those campaigns better. So it was... You know, from my point of view, not, not, I understand not everyone is in that position necessarily. But also by joining, I assume there would be a process that would sort of, I would be told what I can do to help. I would meet other people mm. who share my values in my local area too. Yeah. Um, and I just I had no idea how branch meetings work and how political campaigns work. And I think I probably knew going into it that it was going to be occasionally boring and a little bit annoying. And I would do my best to try and commit time to it. And I've occasionally let let myself and the party down on that front in a, in a bunch of different ways. I'm certainly not at Greensland oh, level off. commitment. Well, like, they, well you, do so, you do a lot. I, I don't, yeah. 
Well, that's that's the, I do I do what I can, but but I'm say, I'm saying the stuff I do is probably within the uh, public profile comedian stuff that I do. I'm not saying that's not nothing or whatever. That is yeah. time, but I'm like the everyday boring stuff of like attending branch meetings, following up on memberships, and and then also you know going beyond branch meetings to organizing stuff and and picking up strategy and that kind of thing. But There's I just been a lot of times I just haven't done that. Yeah, well, I think actually my answer would be that that's the thing is that it's a choose your own adventure thing and you join the Greens and then you figure out where you fit best. And I would say that joining the party and just kind of, you know, exploring the different avenues for involvement and then you just, you you sample, you you taste from the delicious buffet of movement (laughs) building opportunities. Right. And you decide which meal suits you best and you give Mm. yourself a large... A large serving. Um, yeah. It's a really good analogy. But but because that's the thing, like for some people, I would say that, yes, your skills mean that your time is probably best used in the things that you do, which is like supporting and promoting events and being a person online and in the media who talks about stuff. Mm. Um, and I discovered that like I'm good at door knocking and I'm good at comms uh, mm. and, you know, that side of campaigning thing and uh, I'm good in an office. And so I can do that. And then there are people who are really fucking good at wading through constitution stuff and bylaw stuff and going to state council and representing their branch or their interest group to advance a change to the constitution that will improve internal democracy or the Greens position on something or representation for a marginalized group. Mm. Um, There are people who are, yeah, just fantastic at talking to, to voters or who are just really good go and get it done people who will jump in a car with a pile of core flutes and stakes and go get yard signs up during an election or there are people who just want to sit in a room with a bunch of their friends and comrades and enter data in a computer like there are just so many things that you can do mm. and i i think that that's the thing it's like it's so what does being a greens member or volunteer involve i think it's it's figuring out yeah what um, what you enjoy doing and what you're good at in the party. I, I think I've probably said this before on the podcast, but it's funny you say the the financial thing is like when I first joined the Greens, my conception of it was sort of like that will be my contribution to the party is that I become a member and so they get some of my money and that's right. how I be a Greens member, which I think is a big mis- misperception and I would almost say not a good idea to join the party just to do that. I would say set up a regular donation. <laughs> you know what I oh, mean? Like, interesting. I, I think if you become a member, it is because yes, you enjoy that, those, you know, the benefits and the responsibilities that being a member confers upon you, that you do have a say in Greens policy, if that's something mm. that you want to influence and, and in the way that the party is run and in who the candidates are for the party, hopefully one day who the leaders of the party are in parliament. <laughs> but anyway, that's a question for another time. Um, if you are someone who really cares about winning elections, I would actually say even being a member isn't necessary, just volunteer. So like you would just contact your, your branch. I mean, if, yeah, in terms of the logistics side of thing, of things, branch details, emails are listed on the website. Usually if you sign up, someone will give you a call, but you can always like just email and be like, Hey, I really want to do this. Um, but yeah, just volunteering during, during election time and doing door knocking and even between elections for officers or for branches who are organizing things like if that's what you can do that's that's great you don't need to be a member so it's Mm. yeah it's it's a choose your own adventure like I said 
I, how much effort, and Catherine asked, how much time and effort does it take? Like, again, it's up to you, but I think the thing about, I think when it feels best is when you do feel immersed in it. And so you're kind of on a regular basis, at least not necessarily for huge periods of time, but maybe every day or every couple of days, you're connecting with other people in the movement so that you feel socially connected and and politically connected and like connected on a class basis in in a way mm. uh and that's when it's going to be enjoyable to go and and fucking like call a bunch of numbers or type things into a spreadsheet is because it's with your friends and people that you love and respect and have really interesting conversations with and believe that maybe you can change the world with Oh, well, well said. And look, I would say in the Victorian Greens, a big challenge, I think, at least for my branch, and I think what, what, what a lot of branches outside of Greens, the great state of Greensland, <laughs> are trying to do is to become an active presence in the community outside of election mm, times. So true. during election times, often lots of people are happy, willy to chip in and be like, yep, mm. do the Yardstein, do the door knocking, can help out around state or federal or local council elections. The dream is for your branch to be a constant presence in people's community, a fun thing to be involved with. And something that makes a real difference in between those election days. Um, yeah, that's hard. Everyone's busy. Everyone's got lives. It's it's it is tricky. Sometimes mm. people don't want to think about uh, politics for a little bit. Yeah, these are all challenges of being a volunteer but genuinely grassroots organization. Mm. Um, and it's easy. Like yeah. it is easier in in Queensland now where we have a bunch of offices and so we have resources to run, for example, community dinners every week. And there are some people up here who will just volunteer at a community dinner every right. week. Um, but that would be something that would be fantastic if we had the resources to do across the country. Yeah. Good on you, Catherine. Cheers, comrade. Yeah. See you at the meetings. Join the Greens. <laughs> Join the Greens. <laughs> anyway, so um, how are you going? How With the whole voice referendum thing. Yeah, because it's so hard. It's really hard. It's hard for you. And also for us in ways. Yeah, and because it's complicated. It's just a big complicated it's, it's a mess. Mess. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard. But it's confusing, no. mostly. It's just so hard. It's like, what? 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 Totally. What? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, it is hard. All right, let's get into it. As we said, we're less than a week out from The Voice referendum, Saturday, October the 14th. It's all going to be finally fucking over. I mean, who am I to talk? Obviously, for First oh, Nations gonna be, people. It's all over then. It's so it, has deal. it been hard for you, Tom? Has it been yeah. really difficult? Well, when the referendum comes, means I can't tour, can't keep touring my show about the referendum, and so that's going to affect <laughs> True, my financial money position from the referendum. That's, yeah, it's been really <laughs> tough for me. How are you feeling about it? Did you keep up with voice stories while you're away? Have you caught up since you got back? What's your general vibe on where we're at with the uh, voice 2023? I think I've been, yeah, I've been doing a bit of a vibe check since I've been back in the country, trying to trying to get a sense. I will say the vibes are like. There, it's interesting, and again, um, I keep stealing from conversations that I've had with my friend Claire, and then she listens, and she's like, "Oh, that sounded familiar." What you were talking about? <laughs> so credit to Claire, with whom I had this conversation. Um, but that it, yeah, people really switched on once the date was announced. Like that certainly kicked things into gear, which maybe is obvious, but maybe I didn't expect it so much. Uh, it seems like based on polling, yes, is doing slightly better, but. I also feel like based on people who are involved in, you know, politics on whether they're campaigning for yes or not, are tending to feel like it's not going to pass. Is that your, like, what's your vibe? You've been very involved. You're wearing a yes shirt, I see. 
bought it, paid for this, paid for this. I did some pre-poll this week. With the money that week. you made from your show. About <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a self-sustaining cycle. That's great. Yeah. yeah, look, I mean, based on the latest polling, I think both Essential and NewsPoll had an uptick in Yes support this week. I think NewsPoll has the Yes going up to 43. That's up two points. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, down three points to 49. And still something like 28% of voters who are either undecided or a soft yes or no. So um, I suppose, you know, people saying there's about 5 million voters who could potentially be swayed one way or the other. Still a very high bar. Yeah. Um, And I think there was some polling suggesting that even no, uh, Victoria was close to a no vote. If Victoria votes no, I think it's it's definitely over. Wait, um, so has Victoria gone backwards in terms of- Yes. The, the S vote is building, again, across the country on these latest okay. polls, but, you know, it's looking a little bit better than it certainly did. But, um, yeah, you would think if the most progressive state in the country, as we like to call ourselves, or at least where all the hippies live, if we if we um, don't vote yes, then, yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, more than a million people have already voted in the pre-poll, including myself. I cast my vote on Thursday. La-di-da. I'll keep my decision to myself. It's private. <laughs> you didn't write your name on the ballot to make sure that it counts. Yeah, I did. I said oh, Tom did. Ballard at, at Tom C. Ballard, Tom, yeah, TomBallard.com.au, touring now. <laughs> serious Danger Project. I mentioned Serious Danger, yes. <laughs> there was, yeah, you saw that stuff on Twitter, people saying, yeah. I didn't have to show any ID in order to vote. And so I wrote my wrote my name on the mm. ballot paper, which mm. of course makes it an invalid vote because you can't identify yourself yes. as a voter on your ballot. Yes. Don't do that. But as some people on Twitter were saying, all those no voters, all those patriots, make sure you write your name on there. That's really – we're probably not legally allowed to say that. I, don't know. I anyway. think you're not. I think you're actually not. The AEC could, you know, come after you. Big, scary AEC. In parody. I was on pre-poll. I did about two hours uh, early, this year, early this week. It was very, uh, very quiet, um, even during the lunch break from, from 12 till 2. But it was sad because you're there for two hours, not many people, and, of course, you just end up talking to – the lady that was handing out flyers for the No campaign. Oh, uh, yeah. Perfectly lovely and we had a nice chat and we, you know, had a few laughs and shared some food. But then she revealed the fact that she is a cooker and she's worried about <laughs> communism and she thinks that the vaccine was part of the net zero program, i.e. Oh. we've got to get to net zero so we've got to reduce the amount of carbon so you should kill some people and you yes. may as well do that by, mm. you know, putting the vax That's out there. Right. Uh, yeah, hates communism, wants us to move to distributionism. Distributionism? Yes. Which the way she's like, everyone lives on their own little plot of land and we all make oh, our own food yeah. and we share. And I was like, it sounds a little bit like communism. Did like you guys know? No, 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 commu- no, not that. You're like, yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> Let's move to that then. She hates the globalists, of course. She loved the 80s. She wants everything to go back to the 80s. She thinks that everyone got along okay. and was great in the 80s and everything was fine. Yep. She just wants everyone to be equal. This was the thing that she repeated multiple times, both but once or twice to me, but also to people going by and other no voters who came out and had discussion. You know, they, they certainly yeah. centered around this idea. First Nations people already have a voice. We're all equal. Why would you put race back into the Constitution? That was a constant one. This was crazy. She mentioned uh, reparations, right? She doesn't want to pay reparations. Why should I pay reparations? What have I done? Mm -hmm. But then at another point she said, I wish the government would just give every Indigenous person a million dollars and then we could all move on and we'd be equal. Now, Uh, Okay. (laughs) 
No, I wow, looked it up. That is generous. It's really nice. The latest census, there were 983,700 First Nations people in this country. Okay. So if they all get a million dollars, that is $983.7 billion. Look, some subs and some tax cuts, and we're pretty much there. <laughs> get this get this lady to parliament. I say. Pop- <laughs> I know. She she please everyone. We're not doing reparations, but we are giving $983 billion to First Nations people. Yay! <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. But it was really, I mean, yeah, I mean, I asked her, like, well, how do you think it's going to go? And she thinks, mm. I think the country is going to vote yes, right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, which is really interesting. Because every yes voter thinks that it's going to lose. Of course, which is much more aligned with the facts, I would argue, uh, and all the data that we have. But she was so – there was this really deep nihilism. I mean, she let me know. She'd handed out flies for the Freedom Party in the Victorian state election. She was obviously worried about things like uh, vaccine mandates, and, and she said, mm-hmm. yes, we're going towards communism as a country, this kind of – but she's sort of like, oh, yeah, it's probably going to end up. It doesn't matter what I do. It was really, hmm. uh, really nihilistic about the future and just, just filled with a real – Distaste and anger at the political class and elites and the status quo. And Again, yet she all that would stuff still we talk get about. Out there and like hand out flyers for this thing, which not many people would do. I totally find that interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, in you know, um, energized enough or cared enough to do that, mm. believing it would make some kind of a difference. I mean, you would you would assume the suburbs that we were in in the Melbourne's West would would broadly uh, be um, a no uh, a yes vote. You would think, but anyway. It was yeah. it was a, a sad little peek into meeting IRL, one of those people that we uh, talk about a lot in left-wing media about Ooh. people left yeah. behind who are buying into these conspiracy theories, you know. Yeah, I mean it's – and I don't know if this has been the experience of yours as well, but I've certainly – it is worrying to see the – yeah, like in real time how this is enabling some incredibly cursed just racism to, to come out, but like the more – Cooker, cookerish side of things and conspiracies mm. um, and just blatant misinformation. Like my little sister was messaging me about conversations that she was having at like on, on holiday away with her friends and one of their families and like them. Yeah, it, it does seem like the thing that cuts through most is it's unfair. Like, quote, what can Indigenous people do that white people can't? Like why do they get an elevated position? Yeah. Um, but yes, just all the way through to to stuff that's just blatantly not true about overriding, you know, parliamentary decisions and mm. no one would have no one would be able to own any land anymore. It would mean that Australia is technically unoccupied and, you know, terra nullius again or something. Just just cook a shit that like, mm. yeah, these are now the conversations that are happening at probably at barbecues and family dinners across the nation. <laughs> Yeah, yay! Demo- politicizing the population, yes. getting people involved in democracy. Yeah. Well, we mentioned it briefly on uh, last week's episode, the morning that we were recording last week's episode with uh, Dave Milner. Um, Six News reported, and I don't, I don't know how much other coverage it sort of got. And it, and this original position is from September the seventeenth, so it is a little mm. while ago. But the Australian Greens First Nations Network released their position on where they stand on the Voice uh, First Nations Network, otherwise known as the Black Greens, they're sort of interchangeably mm. referred to as, um, which we thought was absolutely worth talking about and, and going through and sort of laying out where the Black Greens are coming from here. Mm. Maybe just for a little bit of background, how can we best summarise what the Black Greens is, Emerald, would you say? How do they fit into the Australian Greens as a party? Well, we have a bunch of, 
I guess, um, member groups. I think they have different names in states and and federally, so I'm not going to get the names right. Uh, but yeah, stuff like the queer greens and yes, that represent um, particular interests. Multicultural greens, yes, that are sort of like you know members within the party that want to organise, make the that develop policy in relation to certain areas that those affect those groups, but also obviously want to try and work better to make the party itself more inclusive yeah. and more welcoming for people of minority groups. Yeah, and I think the difference perhaps with the First Nations Network is that they, I would say they hold a slightly more privileged or like, uh, you know, formalised position within mm. the Greens in that they have a seat on or like a vote on National Council, for example. Uh, so like, yeah, slightly above those other kind of membership groups. But interestingly, and I mean, I guess maybe we'll get into this when we look at the the statement, it is like there's... There are requirements for how the groups are formed and that sort of thing, but they don't necessarily have to, for example, speak to or consult with every First Nations member of the party um, and they don't have to, even members of that group don't have any requirements for like who needs to sign off on a public statement before it's released. Mm. So we don't know necessarily yet how many people were involved in making this statement. In fact, there are very few, as I understand it, requirements within the Greens for it to represent even that body. Mm. Um, but it's still, yes, like that's what the group is set up for is to kind of represent the interests of and views of particular groups within the party. And people would not be necessarily elected to be part of the First Nations Network. Now, that's, mm. that's true of all these other uh, groups, right? Like anyone can join the the, the queer greens, right? And yeah. anyone can join these groups. And often they're just like they're working groups and their policy discussions. And people and often the party's very happy for anyone who wants to be involved yes. and organised around these particular yes. issues. Yes, you want to do the fair? work, please. Yeah, please for the love of God. Yeah. But yes, so 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 it is not necessarily an elected body in that respect, which I think mm. is 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 worth mentioning, um, just for context. And am I also right in thinking that? Lydia Thorpe was a big force in setting up the First Nations Network, like like her coming to the party was organising with other people or did it pre-exist her? I, I'm not sure. Oh, I actually don't know if it did predate her because I kind of know maybe more from the Queensland context in that regard. But I would say that having like when Lydia Thorpe was in the party, she probably grew the First Nations Network significantly and like its right. prominence and power, you know, within the party. Yeah. Sure. All right, I think we'll just read this opening paragraph and then we can sort of summarise the rest of the statement. Dear Greens members and supporters, on Sunday the 17th of September, the Australian Greens First Nations Network convened to determine our stance on Labor's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Parliament. First and foremost, we want to em emphasise that we fully respect and acknowledge everyone's right to self-determine their vote in the upcoming referendum. However, as representatives of First Nations members of the Australian Greens and in alignment with our commitment to the truth, treaty and voice policy, we feel a responsibility to provide our perspective to Greens members and supporters. We acknowledge that there is a diversity of views around the voice and that the Labor Party has divided people. We are committed to working with all First Nations people, regardless of what position they take on the referendum. It is a fact that Labor's voice does not align with Greens policy on truth treaty voice, which clearly states in order that the voice must be subject to treaty negotiations. We encourage Green members and supporters to stand in solidarity with us and vote no or abstain at the upcoming referendum. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps we should also acknowledge the fact that we did sort of make some inquiries about potentially getting a member of the Black Greens onto the show. Those inquiries didn't sort of work out. 
you know, the acknowledgement of where to white people talking about this stuff yeah. is important. But yes, you know, this is a publicly available statement and we think it's worth talking through. So that's the opening gambit there. Um, uh, I mean, I, again, I suppose when you have something like as representatives of First Nations members of the Australian Greens, that might be a little bit tricky if if we don't know necessarily who's involved, how many people, how many other First Nations members of the party are involved or whether there's a democratic mandate for the First Nations Network to speak for all First Nations members of the Greens. Is that a fair thing to yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, you could also argue, yes, it could be could become kind of a semantic question about whether they're saying here that they are the representatives of all right. First Nations members of the Greens or whether they're just saying we are representatives. Sure. So the rest of the statement sort of breaks down into a couple of areas and then lists a bunch of reasons and sort of responses to, to people who might be advocating for a yes case. Um, first of all, they talk about truth-telling. So much of the rhetoric surrounding the voice referendum is racist. We want to emphasise that it is for this reason that truth-telling and treaty must occur before the voice. So this is something we've talked about on the show before. The Greens supported the Uluru statement from the heart but proposed a different order of things. That is, mm. uh, truth and treaty should become before the voice and the voice is then subject to treaty negotiations. Um, I did think – I thought yeah. this was a very interesting, like, and maybe this is my own stupidity – but this did put it very clearly in a way that I hadn't kind of clocked before that, yes, mm. seeing what we are seeing right now, the discourse and the debate around the voice referendum, how that's playing out, would that be different if we'd had the truth-telling, you know, Truth and Justice Commission right. before this process, potentially? I think that's an interesting point because I think a, a lot of the discussion that we've had, particularly when it was back when the Greens' position on the supporting the referendum was kind of up in the air, was mm. more focusing on treaty and treaty coming first. Mm. But I thought this was an interesting point about truth coming first. Although I will say, yes, like my position, which I think I said back, you know, months ago, I still don't necessarily think that, yeah, the Greens supporting the voice referendum and a yes vote is in conflict with Greens policy, which is kind of mm. what, yeah. When, when this statement says that, I, I don't think my interpretation of, of the Greens policy isn't that it requires the particular order and particularly that it would require the order, prioritise that order over the elements of of the Uluru Statement from the Heart being implement, implemented separately. Mm. But that's, that's a policy interpretation question. Yeah, and look, at, at the start of the year, I think there was a case to be made that while these negotiations, while the parliament, while the legislation was being put through the parliament, there was a case to be made to pressure and to try and you know mm. extract some guarantees on the other statements of the or the other elements of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, right? Yeah. So while we're going ahead with the voice, but we also need to get you know a level of commitment and an idea that this is a path to truth telling and treaty. We want those commitments because during the voice referendum debate, the issue of treaty has been. Uh, brought up, right? And yeah. Albanese's be pretty quick to dismiss that. We're not talking about that now. I'm still unclear about what happened there. Yeah, there may not even be it. He was like, oh, treaties is in all those tra- the state level treaties that are happening now, not necessarily what most people would assume is a federally negotiated um, treaty by some kind of uh, national body to, to talk about national issues. That's a um, mystery to me quick because, yes, that. I yeah. still would like at one point, maybe we can get to the bottom of why it sounded like we'd negotiated. There was this commitment for treaty, like for funding to progress treaty and then what that Labor just said, we're taking it back. I don't understand what happened there. Right. They've already committed money in the budget towards a treaty-making process, right, and to sort of begin yeah, so begin that thing. I don't, so. Yeah, I don't get it, but okay. Yeah, okay. 
The statement also mentions treaty and says, um, you know, finally having a genuine treaty or treaties signed between the first peoples of this land and the Commonwealth of Australia it will empower us to negotiate the implementation of a voice on our terms. So again, just reiterating that idea, you have a treaty and then that would set up the voice. That's the Black Greens position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, then there are lots of points. We'll link to this statement in our show notes if people want to read the whole thing for themselves. What do you think it's worth summarising here? Just a bunch of the other no positions, the other the other reasons uh, why the Black Greens think that people should consider voting no. What what kind of ones stood out to you here? That are um, to- yeah, I was curious. So one of the points that they've got is due to the legislative nature of Labor's voice, the scope of it will constantly change with new governments because that's one of the key arguments um, that people in favour of the the voice of voting yes have said, well, we should do this because we need this enshrined in the constitution, whereas this seems to directly respond to that and say there's actually a legislative nature. What Do you know what they're referring to here? Well, they're just saying that because this change will mandate the existence of the voice as mandated by the constitution, but the design and function mm. and scope of the voice will be left up to legislation to be determined by future parliaments. Yeah, okay. I guess that's true. Yes, which... Again, I think I tried to articulate this at the start of the year and didn't do a great job of it. But what I see coming out here is, again, this level of tension or conflict between our ideas about democratic mandates coming into conflict with other ideas about sovereignty, the First Nations rights, people to determine what happens on their country mm-hmm. and a rejection of colonial structures, including you know what we generally accept to be the idea that if you elect a government democratically, then they have the right to pass legislation that will change institutions even a First Nations voice. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also, I mean, as it's very hard to change the constitution. Like I can yes. understand, yeah, when you are talking about the detail or a model of how something works, I almost, I would understand why you wouldn't want to necessarily put it in the constitution, particularly right at the start. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. They raised questions of sovereignty, which, again, we sort of talked uh, at length as well. That was certainly something that Lydia thought was campaigning on and raising mm-hmm. questions on and still as a, now the leader of the Black Sovereignty Movement or one of the leaders of the Black Sovereignty Movement is certainly drawing attention to, right, and saying that enshrining us in this racist constitution um, further assimilates First Nations people, Black Greens are talking about that as well, and will impact the sovereignty of, um, of First Nations people and we'll call that into question. Mm. Again, this seems to be a question to me where it's like, well, I, I don't know what kind of legal opinion or response would ref- would refute that argument that people in black sovereignty movements would be open to. Is that fair to yeah. say? That is, you know, at the time there was lots of deep dives, you know, an interesting discussion about sovereignty yeah. in the culture sort of the emerged nerds. out of it. I think that was worthwhile. But you had legal experts, some of them proponents of the voice, some of them a little bit more neutral just sort of saying, you know, as much as we understand what sovereignty is and how it exists, how it coexists with uh, the crown in settler colonial states, um, enshrining the voice in the constitution would not impact and that Aboriginal people cannot cede their sovereignty by this being put into the constitution. Yeah. And I think ultimately what it comes down to for me, which is the, yeah, I would say my position on this whole thing hasn't changed that much in the last few months, Mm. which is that, I kind of agree with a lot of the points that they put here about the problems with this proposal for the voice, yeah. Um, you know, and also the problems with going voice first. But I just, I still feel that the impacts of a no vote outweigh for me, the negative impacts of that outweigh the arguments against like this being the best thing. They, they certainly outweigh any negative or neutral impacts of, 
a yes vote, but it is. And, you know, I think we, we discussed this a little bit and I think a lot of people are starting, you know, on the left are starting to turn their minds to, okay, it looks like we may get a no vote mm. um, and the impacts of that and the way that it will embolden racists and potentially I would argue, yes, uh, tell Labor that they don't need to do anything for First Nations people and can abandon First Nations policies that it's unpopular, that like they do uh, every time. Sorry. The building's fire alarm is about to be tested. <laughs> Repeat, the building's fire alarm <laughs> is about to be tested. <laughs> Wait, are they going to set off the actual fire alarm? I think so, yes. This oh, good. This is testing only. Don't they know people record podcasts in their apartments? Oh, my God. If I burn during a podcast recording, so be it. (laughs) 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 Wow. You know, what does this say about the state of of politics in Australia right now? (laughs) That siren's not so inappropriate, is it, Tom? Is it done, do you think? Um, Normally there's a bit where they say, thanks, everyone. Have a nice day. Uh, attention, the building's fire alarm testing is now complete. Please acknowledge any further tones. Thank you. Please acknowledge any further tones. I'd like to acknowledge the tones, <laughs> the traditional tones of this country. Um, okay, sorry about that. That's all over now. That's all good. I can't remember. Oh, I was saying, yeah, the, the impacts outweigh um, of the bad. Oh, yeah, and a lot of progressives are now starting to turn their mind to even when we do get a no result and how that will yet potentially lead labor as they do to get scared of doing anything quote unquote progressive, you know, just Mm. acknowledging first nations people uh, and be like, Oh no, the people don't like that. So we won't do that ever. Or we'll never win another election and you'll be stuck with the coalition and that's your fault. Mm. Um, So yes, like a lot of people, how do we start thinking about fighting back against that? And also, you know, fighting for the sorts of things that AGF and like the First Nations Network talk about in this letter, they suggest things that you could demand instead of voting for the voice, like implementing, you know, the recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody and the bringing them home report, Mm. um, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, focusing on those things. And it's true that it's probably, yes, we need to think about how we fight for those things beyond this referendum. Yeah, I mean, there's a line in the statement that says, instead of voting for the voice, you should mm. demand the government implement the recommendations. Now, ¿Por qué no los dos? Yes, yes, why not have both, my friends? Come on. I must say I'm pretty disappointed to see it regularly referred to as Labor's voice. You know, that that's a talking point from the shitty no racist no campaign. Uh, again, I, I, I just- I get that, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I feel like I would have used like- Similar language in the past because if we're talking about specifically the proposal that this Labor government has put to the people, but I understand what you mean that that kind of takes away some of the agency and the the credit um, to people who are involved in the Uluru Dialogues. Of the statement, right? Like, again, mm-hmm. I, I just – this lies at the heart of the contradiction that sort of plagued the Greens and our relationship to The Voice, right? Fully endorsing the Uluru Statement from the heart. And if you do that, if you're recognising and, like, while you can still have a critique of the process, yes, some people walked out. Mm. Sure, but again, that's there's an overwhelming democratic mandate there. Like there's an overwhelming consensus from those First Nations leaders after an extensive grassroots uh, dialogue process that produced the Uluru Statement from the heart. And once you're sort of once you, you say that you know we're listening to that and we respect that process at least, 
um, and you recognize and endorsing that statement, um, yeah, describing it as Labour's voice is, is just, it's, I just think it misrepresents exactly what it mm. is. And particularly I think what's interesting in the time that I have been away is that I have seen a lot more, you know, progressive and radical First Nations voices come out in support of voting yes and directly yep. responding to that progressive no argument and appealing to radicals to to vote yes. Yeah, that was really interesting. So we had um, a few folks come out at the same time, write some different pieces. We can put links for these in the pieces in the in the notes too. Mary Hionis uh, wrote a piece for Indigenous X. Here's a little taste of this, basically saying, you know, I'm not stoked about it, but I have moved from a progressive no position to a yes position. Mm. No is a worse option. Right now we have the yes and no binary on our doorstep and true to the Australian way, it's not consensual. Mm. I agree with the view that non-Indigenous people shouldn't have a say on blackfella business. However, Australians will cast their vote on the 14th of October and it will be on the basis of how they feel and what they think of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I don't want the outcome to be no. That's why I'll be writing yes in just over a week's time. I don't want to wake up on the 15th and feel even more hated than I do right now. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people around the country are facing overt racism at work, in class and in their local shops, with people telling them they don't care about blackfellas with the current racist no campaigning. Regardless of the outcome from the referendum, our identity and sovereignty will endure. Our communities will persist, and together we will continue to fight for our sovereignty long after the referendum, as we have always done. Yeah. We also had Tarnine Owners Williams, made famous by the Burn Australia Down quote at an Invasion Day rally a few years ago that they uh, got a lot of coverage for. Pretty fucking awesome. Pretty sick. <laughs> they wrote a piece for Crikey and interestingly they lay, they likened the debate to the marriage equality plebiscite and sort of said, you know, it's very obvious at that point, you know, toxic, horrible debate. It was very clear what a no vote would mean in that um, circumstance and the yes vote not only got marriage equality, but also led, in their opinion, to other progressive legislation on LGBTQI rights. So that seems to have played an influence in influencing yeah, their position. That's potentially true, yeah. Yeah. But this I thought was a really interesting point from Tarnine. In my time on the Interim Aboriginal Treaty Working Group, I learned that Victoria has had recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in its constitution since 2005. Has my sovereignty been signed away because we're included in this constitution? Absolutely not. Though after constitutional recognition in Victoria, we saw little changes from its inception until Victoria committed to a treaty in 2016, just over a decade, decade later. I didn't care then, and I don't care now about constitutional recognition. I once thought being recognised in the Australian constitution would give up my sovereignty, but I now understand that my sovereignty can't be taken or given away. Our sovereignty is not only spiritual, it constitutes all of who we are, our laws, our conduct, and our lives. They also write, a no vote will set back First Nations justice for decades and nothing reflects this more than the rapid rise of right-wing neo-Nazis who are becoming more brazen, more vocal and more organised. And yeah. perhaps we should acknowledge and send solidarity to Libya Thorpe who received a fucking say, video yeah. from fucking neo-Nazi scum um, burning an Aboriginal flag and full up for fully threatening her. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, yes, like the irony, I mean, it's true that she has become one of the key figures for the far right to focus their, you know, vitriol and and violence upon. Mm. Uh, and they have, yep, and it like been inflamed throughout this this process. Um, but it's arguable that yes, they'll become even further emboldened by a no vote. Right. 
This is far from ideal, Tarnine writes, but it is happening, and a no vote will have devastating effects on Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities alike. On their ballot papers, I ask settlers to vote yes to First Nations strength and leadership, and if the yes vote wins, non-Aboriginal people must resist complacency and the slumber that often happens after historic moments. It's a great point, I think. The fight is not over and the work is not done. I ask that your yes be a commitment too to continuing to support our campaigns, standing alongside us in our fights for justice and joining us on the streets at our protests because yes isn't enough. That's a good point. Yeah. We also had Roxy Moore uh, write another piece as well. Yesterday I was a no, today I'm a yes, here's why. I feel compromised to write yes. I'll be voting with Rio Tinto. (laughs) 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 I'm reluctantly writing yes because I believe we can build power for transformative change beyond the referendum. I mean, these aren't ringing endorsements and it's certainly not the same level of positivity and hope that we might associate with, say, the yes vote in the marriage equality campaign. But it seems to be an interesting evolution, I suppose, from those radical voices who are still radical yeah. people, who are committed to black sovereignty, who have you know assessed the situation, made a political calculation, and encouraging other people to to move. And and when the, the no vote, as I said, is really thinly leading in Victoria, you could argue that you know the black sovereignty movement is you know very uh, at its strongest, or it's you know it's it's where Lydia is from and and Gary Foley and these other figures from the worries of Aboriginal resistance, mm. um, at least the Victorian version of it, like they could actually make a significant difference. Yeah. Um, and I hear that there is a lot of stuff out there on TikTok and in social media featuring First Nations people saying no, not just conservative ones but progressive no voters as well. Mm. Um, and so potentially this might help turn the tide a little bit on that front. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting. Like as far as I'm aware, the Brisbane Blacks like war Folks up here yep. are still pretty firmly no. Um, but, yes, to see some of the most, you know, radical justice fighters in Victoria coming out in support of yes, I I would imagine, like, I would hope that particularly for white people who would claim to be allies, you know, in Victoria in particular, that that might help them make up their mind a little might or change their mind even. Yeah. Just to return to the Black Greens position if we can, because I think there's probably some stickier questions there that we might might not have got to and yeah. are worth having a crack at anyway. Uh, the Greens response, Australian Greens' official response to this position is as follows. Greens MPs unanimously, unanimously support the Yes campaign. This is a spokesperson for the party saying this. Mm-hmm. And the Greens took a clear position to the election of campaigning for all elements of the Uluru State from the heart. So it's like it's all elements now and the order is at least it. According Which to the spokesperson statement, it's not said, relevant at this point. Yeah. I suppose. When Greens MPs met earlier this year to consider how to vote on the voice referendum and legislation, the party room sought advice from a variety of sources, including the Australian Greens First Nations Network, who agreed that the Greens that should support voice alongside truth, treaty, and self determination, and the party room can only say yes to a referendum on a voice to parliament. Some in the First Nations Network may have a different view, and the Greens respect that there is a diversity of views within the First Nations Network. Uh, and they're able to self-determine their own position. However, the Greens remain committed to campaigning yes. And also, we've mentioned this before, but the polling overwhelmingly shows that Greens voters are very much in favour of uh, The Voice. In fact, mm. one there was one at the start of the year we mentioned, but in September, a Redbridge poll had 75% of Greens voters on board and Labor voters only at 51%, which is pretty wild, yeah. 19% for coalition voters. Overwhelmingly, the polling illustrates that Greens members and voters are on board and are going to be voting yes. And ironically, I think this is the thing, is that I think that 
labor and the parts of labor who see it as their primary role to attack the Greens or who see the Greens as their primary opposition politically Mm. would love to have this statement support a narrative that there is a direct opposition or a conflict between the First Nations network within the Greens and the Greens leadership or the Greens MPs and the position that the party has taken as a whole kind of being led by party room. And that's why I think it's interesting that this statement directly says that there's a diversity of views within AGFNN Mm. and, you know, why I would kind of point to the somewhat boring but perhaps relevant, like the constitution and bylaws shit internally within the Greens that Mm. it's like to make clear that it's not as simple as that, right? Um, And I'm sure that would be a lovely narrative for Labor who isn't enjoying bleeding progressive votes to the to the Greens and mm. who wants to um, emphasise that kind of internal conflict angle. And I don't really think that that is what's happening here. Sure. I think it's also worth saying that um, with Lydia leading, leading the party, with Dr mm. Gennaro Grangering, who was, you know, formerly a, a, also a prominent public face of the Black Greens within mm. the party, also leaving the party this year, it, it is very hard for me at least as someone who doesn't know heaps about how, how this all works or or how the First Nations Network came about or how they operate within the party. Like who 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 speaks for them, who are who's involved. Um Dorinda Cox, our only First Nations federal MP, mm. is the spokesperson, the party spokesman for First Nations Justice, is campaigning for yes as well. So, yeah. you know, what what's her relationship to this particular statement? How do they consider her position in that? Um these are all kind of open open questions to me. Yeah, um, that seem a little bit hard to to understand. Yeah, I also I don't know what the position of each of the states and territories First Nation networks right. is on this. Like, I think as I understand it, for example, in Queensland, the Queensland Greens First Nations network does support campaigning for yes. Yeah. Um, so. That would be another layer to look at. And, yeah, I guess that's just, you know, I, I think I saw a little bit on Twitter, for example, I don't even know, I don't think necessarily all bad faith arguments, but people questioning support, their their support for the party or, or their, their role in the party and whether they are being complicit in an organisation that effectively silences um, First Nations voices who are meant to be representative of First Nations people within the party and, and even more broadly in, in the community. Mm. Um, and I I don't think, yeah, I don't think that that's what's happening here. Uh, I mean, I do think it's interesting that, yes, this statement says something about the First Nations network in the Greens having structural power but being largely ignored. Right. And I would dispute that. I, I, I think that if that were the case, uh, things would have gone very differently in the past year with the party, it would have been very easy for the party or for, for party room to just, you know, say go one way or the other uh, and for the, you know, largely undemocratic leadership to just say this is what's happening and run with that and take the easy route. And instead it was a deeply like painful and messy uh. process and it still is because fucking democracy is. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Oh, you say it's not fair to say that the the network has been ignored in this process. Yeah. 
Right, okay. Whereas they would argue, well, we're coming up with this position to not support the voice and yet the Greens official party and the MPs are, are backing a yes It vote. seems there are some people within First Nations Network who are saying that, yes, that their position yes. was ignored. And right. that, again, it literally seems like a dispute of, of, of fact as to whether there were these meetings where First Nations Network said you have to support yes or not. Yeah. And I guess only the people who were in those meetings know what actually happened there. Uh, but ultimately it's like, yeah, it's really not as important to my mind as the reality that we are in now and particularly what the fuck this country looks like after mm. the 14th of October. Yeah. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something that the party needs to resolve, right? I think I think uh, it's, it obviously seems to be a bit of a mess and if we're going to seriously mm. take this, and I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, Lydia leaving particularly and all yeah. that changes then leading into the actual um, referendum debate itself, plus housing in there as well, plus the chaos of everyday politics means that you know this resolving this internally hasn't necessarily been a, a number one priority. Mm. But if the idea is that we have a First Nations network that is representing First Nations members of our party, and they have a serious, perhaps not just influence, but like you know a level of veto power, it seems, yeah. it seems the, the people writing this statement feel that it would be appropriate at the First Nations Network to have a veto power, like the final call on the Greens Party on First Nations issues, if that is what we want as a party or if that is the idea, if that's what the First Nations Network is supposed to be and or it's not what it is and people have the impression that is what it is, you know, that that does need to be resolved because, you know, if if that's um, serious and if as lots of members of the party have talked about decolonizing the party and decolonizing mm. our society, if that's the step in that, then we need to figure out what that looks like. Because, yeah, that's true. Yes, Actually, it is, yeah. Is you know, with all the disclaimers we've mentioned about this statement, it is embarrassing, somewhat awkward, deeply yeah. unfortunate that members of our party, uh, First Nations members of our party, you know, feel this way, have come out with this statement, and will see mm. the rest of the party, you know, campaign for yes, that, that there hasn't been a level of solidarity or consensus achieved on a pretty crucial political question. Um, that's playing out in Australian politics now. If we see the voice, you know, and this process as a test run of using the First Nations network to genuinely inform the Greens' position and, and approach to, to issues, it's yeah. pretty clear that some issues need to be ironed out, <laughs> that it needs tweaking. It can be room for improvement, some might yes. say. <laughs> yes, very true. I'm going to remember this day for the rest of my life. Please don't move! I can't think of a bigger climate change decision an Australian will ever make. It's massive. Climate crackdown. Do you have a search warrant? Is Australia's right to protest under fire? If we don't do something, then we are criminals. The prospect of going to jail for 20 years is frightening. What happened has left me shaken, fearful and distressed. Did you cross kind of ethical lines? Four Corners, Monday, ABC TV and ABC iView. Call to action, baby. Let's do some we actions. We have too many once again. Yes. <laughs> we couldn't decide, so you have to do all three or you're a bad person. That's right. <laughs> Number yeah, one. Yeah, Catherine, have you joined the Greens <laughs> yet, you lazy <laughs> piece of shit? <laughs> well, you've got to do all this as well. Uh, you've got to support the work, the workers who are striking. I was very excited to see this. I think since this episode will come out on Saturday night or Sunday morning, uh, this will have already happened, but workers at Woolies and Coles were walking off the job on Saturday morning, probably a time when a lot of people like to do their shopping, I yeah. would say. This is another, you know, something that is relatively new in Australia. We spoke about it on a previous episode where we, uh, with Raf Wu, the mm. Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, 
we spoke about the Apple walk-offs and, and strikes and how that is unusual and new for union workers to be striking in retail in Australia because they are otherwise a lot of the time just beholden to the very shitty shoppies, the SDA union that is a fake fucking union. But the RAFO are here and they are standing up to Coles and Woolies who, as a lot of people will know, I think that we should be doing more to say fuck you to and the Greens should be going harder on regulating prices and cracking down on Coles and Woolies who are gouging the shit out of ordinary people and profiteering from cost of living crisis. So go support RAFWU, uh, join the union if you are a retail and fast food worker. It's pretty affordable and it will really help you build that kind of workers movement in those sectors. We'll put the link in the show notes. Second one is obviously the referendum. Tom, you go. You're wearing the yes shirt. Yes shirt. Yes23.com.au, always looking for more volunteers. Pre-polls happening. I'm doing a few more sessions this week. Pre-polls, really easy. You, it's actually, you know, as opposed to when like a, a election or whatever and there are maybe five people in the polling booth trying to hand out their various things, it's like yes and no, two options. Mm, true. A lot of people walking in were pretty, you know, some people took it, some people didn't. They clearly made their mind up. But you also get from people saying, yeah, I'm voting yes and it feels good and it really, you know, really can help to in that last moment, you know, get in people's minds, encourage them to vote yes to get it over the line. I think it's a good thing to do. Yes23.com.au. And on that note, next week's episode, we are going to be reacting to the results on the Sunday morning, the same way we did after the federal election last year. So the episode might be a little bit later on Sunday, but mm. we'll be going through, if we have the results, there is a question as to whether we'll have True. a definitive result on Saturday night, but we will actually be responding to the voice referendum on Sunday morning. Yep. Uh, last one, you listeners may remember episode 87, we did an interview with Jesse Noakes from Disrupt Borough Pub about the work that they've been doing over in WA, standing up to gas giants there. And there were the issues around, there was meant to be a, a Four Corners episode coming out about the, the, just, um, that, that movement and the direct action that they've been taking and, ABC, the ABC have now been told to hand over their footage to WA authorities and there's a question around whether they will do that and I suppose more than ever we need people backing in, you know, the people involved in Disrupt Borough Pub and putting pressure on the ABC to not fucking give away their, their sources and mm. this information to the fucking cops just because some stupid cops who are protecting climate criminals believe that they should. That episode is so good. Jesse was mm. a champion. Um, so, yes, the Four Corners episode is on Monday uh, this week. Right. And, of course, you can always go to disruptpowerhub.com to check out what they're doing in WA or across the country. Send them some love and solidarity. Um, yeah, and don't be shit, ABC, please, and be good journalists. Yeah. Any Thank any you. ABC uh, high up, higher executives listening to this show, don't be <laughs> – bad don't just keep it to yourselves i got a lot of influence in that organization i got a lot, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got a lot of sway <laughs> so, what balance like says in the abc goes, it goes. <laughs> oh, all right thanks for listening to our show everybody follow us on social media at serious danger au go to seriousdangerpod.com for all your sd needs so good to have you back emerald moon it's good to be back missed you bye no don't dab. <laughs> 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 Serious danger, Australia.